I think it's profitable for the Western world for us to idealise a certain body type because naturally, I'm just speaking for women, naturally most women don't fall into a size 8 trim and fit body type. Naturally we don't. Naturally we sit maybe a little bit more than that. And it's profitable for people to think that unless I look like that, I have to keep trying to fight to look like that. And it's profitable. The diet industry, the health industry profits off it. So of course they want us to believe that we have to fit this mold because that mold makes them a lot of money. And for me personally, I've fell victim to that and I am still unlearning those behaviors. What would your little five-year-old self be proud to see you do? What would your little inner child be happy to see you doing? As a child, I loved colour and nature and creating and escaping and just spending quality time by myself working through a project. I'm no different than when I was five in some ways because I'm listening to what my true self wanted to do before society got in the way. It has taught me to tread lightly and kindly in the world. I realise that when you see someone on the street, you have no idea what is going on. You are good. Going through their, their life at that point, regardless of what they look like, how they present to the world, you have no idea because people didn't know that about me. So if you approach people with love and kindness, you will have a much greater output in your experience with humans. I guess my family relationships, my inner circle relationships are much greater now that I take a step back and I look at them and embrace them for exactly who they are, regardless of what is going on in their life. Hey, you've just joined A Journey with Bernie. Greetings, my dear friends, and thank you so much for joining me and today's wonderful guest. My name is Bernie Kelly, and I'm your very enthusiastic show host. Why? Because I woke up this morning, and I don't know about you, but I'm still breathing. I've been expressing my joy for life as a corporate leadership and team building coach for 30 years now. But I've also loved working in the schools, guiding students and our young ones, just to open up their eyes to see more, to do more, to be more. I'm an explorer who wants to take you and them to the summit of Kilimanjaro. Hey, how about the base of Mount Everest or the intrigue of the Peruvian Machu Picchu or that epic spiritual adventure across Northern Spain, the Camino? Yes, I'm a lover of nature and I am a consumer of life. And that's why this podcast exists. You see, it's a simple exploration of what you and I need to do to find greater love for self, to inspire our own sustainable inner happiness and to discover greater meaning in our humble lives. Of course, I don't have the answers. But that's why each week you and I will explore the life purpose and the perspectives and paradigms of our wonderful podcast guests who will share with us their strategies, their thoughts, their actions that just might bring greater meaning to our lives. Hey, we're all on this journey, folks. So today, let's together put on our hat of curiosity and explore life's possibilities. And 
let's do it together on this episode of A Journey with Bernie. One of the great things about A Journey with Bernie is from where I find my guests. And I'm sure for you, the listener, you've heard from some wonderful guests with a terrific profile that could be on the front page or even the back page of our national newspaper. Uh, Some of them are great sports people. Some of them are sports coaches. And then there are others like um, uh, high-profile academics. I bumped into a student the other day who certainly knew one of my guests from the University of Queensland in one of the earlier episodes. But then again, dear people, some of my guests, if you were to Google their name, I'm not quite sure too much would come up. And that's not a reflection on them. I've selected them because sometimes I find them in the most unusual ways. And they could simply be the person next door, the neighbor. Well, Bella Cameron this morning isn't quite the neighbor, although she was sitting at the coffee shop opposite me with another woman who turned out to be her mother. And I just happened to make an inquiry as to why at 6 a.m. in the morning were these two women crocheting at Joey's Cafe (laughs) at Kangaroo Point. Bella Cameron, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And what were you crocheting that morning? I was crocheting the start of a pinafore dress. (laughs) And I asked, what is a pinafore dress? Could you give an explanation? Because I'm sure there are many out there listening to this that are as confused as what a pinafore dress is as what I was. Imagine like more of an apron style dress. So you've got a cover at the front, but it will also obviously cover like a skirt. It's kind of a silhouette adapted from the 60s that I'm bringing into more modern Wow, wow. Yes. Is it as colourful as the garment that you've got on now? Of that is course. A, that's a crocheted. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It looks beautiful. So Thank many colours. So I've got the pastels, I've got the oranges, I've got <laughs> the pinks and the yellows and the and the light greens. I yeah. never discriminate. <laughs> the whole colour wheel's my palette. <laughs> and your partner or your or the friend that was sitting with you that morning, that turned out to be mum. Yes, that is my mum. She's amazing. How often do you two get together to crochet at 6am in the morning? Not as often as we should. (laughs) I wish it was more, but at least once or twice a week. So that's great. And yes, dear folks, it was from that humble beginning at Joey's Cafe only just last week that I met Bella Cameron. But the story that unfolded, I, I just found quite remarkable. And I'm sure she got surprised when I said, what are you doing next Tuesday? (laughs) (laughs) And here we are at A Journey with Bernie, episode number 17 or 18, who knows. Um, Why do you crochet? I crochet because it helps me slow down. I have something to show for my time so I can look back and see my time actually put into a physical uh, being. Um, And also it just helps me connect with my creative inner child. That is why I love creating things that I can think up in my mind and as wacky and crazy as they may be, turn it into something that I can be really proud of. Folks, I think you're already starting to hear why I got curious. I I just thought it was like a hobby, but no, there was a, a 
real meaning behind the crocheting. When you say slowing down, that almost sounds as if crocheting is like meditative. It, it, it's sort of like um, has you focus so much on what you're doing that it, it slows you down, it puts thought aside. Is that how it works? Uh, absolutely. I think crochet and any kind of needlepoint work, uh, whether it's embroidery or knitting, you really just do slow down. The world kind of fades away and no matter what's happened in the day, good or bad, you can sit down and create and connect with yourself in a more deeper way than I would say being on my phone or just zoning out. I'm I'm zoning out but in a productive, creative way. That's amazing. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's wonderful. Thank you. Is there reason why you want to slow down? Is there a purpose behind that? I like to slow down my life uh, these days because I appreciate life at a slower pace. I'm not chasing uh, any one particular thing at this point. I love creating. I love having the energy to create. So the way I operate my life is I come home from my day-to-day job and life and I'm creatively fueled to do something and to make myself proud with what I with what I want to make. And I say that's a slower pace because it's not I guess what the norm is. Um I'm not chasing a I'm not chasing a particular career path. I'm chasing what I find intrinsically and deeply happy. Wow, and this this is why I'm I'm interested in getting your thoughts in this particular podcast. Um, how else do you find such happiness? Like, is there? Do you also slow down in other aspects of your life? Do you do you search for nature? Do you go for morning walks? Do you have a a pet dog? (laughs) All the things. (laughs) So I love hiking. I love nature, specifically solo hiking. I take myself off many times to do long, big solo hikes, full day hikes on my own. And the deeper I get into nature, again, I feel like I connect with myself and I can process life and I can really think about things on a deeper level. So I love slowing down with nature. I do have two pet dogs that do keep me very busy. Wow. Um, who also slow me down and make me appreciate the early morning walks. And I guess in my day-to-day life, I'm actively not trying to be busy. <laughs> that is something I actively try and practice, not to be busy 100% of the time. I think what I'm finding fascinating here is, is I understand the philosophy behind this. I might just ask you, however, why do you believe slowing down is so important? Because you have connected it with finding greater happiness. May I have a different definition on slowing down? It's sort of like finding space in your life. It's removing yourself away from busyness, distractive thoughts, invasive thought, am I, your head's bobbing up and down here. How am I going here? If I can kind of give you a metaphor for how I uh, picture what I uh, see slowing down to be. Uh, When you see a piece of art hanging on a wall at a gallery, it has negative space or white space around it. That's how I like to see my life these days. I once was a very busy person, but I found my thoughts really chaotic and then the goals that I set to achieve were muddled. So when I give my life space and time to breathe, I can actually appreciate 
moments more so than I did before. I can actually really appreciate what I achieved. I can actually absorb the moments with much more clarity than when I tried to fill my days with go, go, busy, 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 busy hustle mentality. Mm. So now I actively try and ditch that and approach things at a slower pace, which allows me to actually achieve more in some ways. I actually feel like I can achieve more when I That's uh, amazing. focus on one discipline. That's yeah. amazing. Thank you. Now, 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 dear people, you can probably tell by the tone of voice, we're not looking at a post 50 year old individual who's been on the journey of life to discover this i'm looking at a young lady here who's in your late 20s mid 20s late 20s where i i guess i'm 29 20 well thank you for sharing you didn't have to give us the exact date. you're 29 years of age and you're already challenging some of the more traditional pathways of busyness status acquisition, climbing corporate ladders, filling your life with activity, and you're already reaching a point where you're saying, no, I can be more creative, more me, find greater happiness in slowing down and giving my artwork, the artwork of my life, more space around it. Yes. I think if something truly makes you happy to the core, you have to allow it to have space and you have to like honour that. And for me, creating um, crochet garments has been, uh, I guess, a light bulb moment in my life. Wow. And I never thought that would be the case. I've always been creative, but once I took up crochet and I actually could make (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I could actually make what I dreamed up. I've never felt so proud over some of the things that I have created. And that is still new to me and I'm still embracing this, uh, I guess, highway of my life where I'm diverting more and more away from, I guess, what my peers are doing. And sometimes that can be a little isolating and I question, am I doing the right thing? But when I finish a project and I look at it, I just feel this like deep level of satisfaction that I never got from trying to climb a corporate ladder or or do what is, quote unquote, I am supposed to do. But you have tried to climb the corporate ladder before. I, yeah. yes. Go, tell us about that part of your life. So when I was 20, 21, I started a small business, which um, I threw everything into, all my all my money, all my time, emotional energy, spiritual energy into this business. And I eventually ended up turning a a very substantial profit for, I guess, such a small business. And one uh, after one Christmas trading season, I woke up with more money in my bank account than I ever thought I would have um, for that time in my life. And But on the flip side of that, I was so deeply, deeply unhappy. That's and, amazing. And at that moment, I, I, I think I remember saying it to my mum at the time, or my mum, sorry, that I would hand it all back to try and find out what actually makes me happy. I'd hand back the money, the people saying, you've made it, you've done it, you've achieved it, you, you're there. I'd hand all the accolade and the, the applause back for just listening to my body and being healthy and happy yeah. on a day-to-day basis. But what's incredible to me is that you've had this crowded, intense experience that was delivering a result to you. Yes. And yet 
innately you were saying it didn't make you happy. So the value on happiness was so strong that you prepared to turn yourself, turn your back on that at such a tender age in order to pursue the pathway of inner happiness. I, I realized at that moment that money did not make me happy and what people's perception of success did not make me happy. And I'm still learning that. I'm yeah. still learning that and putting that into practice. But money and power do not bring me happiness. What I'm hearing is you're sort of like unlearning. You're, you're, yes. you're, you, you bought into some of those paradigms early on in life. Yes. And yet you've decided that they don't serve you. Not, not at all. I think everyone grows up wanting to be successful and financially uh, successful, like work, I guess, career success and financial success. And for me personally, I did chase that because I wanted to appear successful. I wanted for people to think, oh, Bella's got her life together. And then when I chased, I guess, what other people want to do and what others thought I should do. I wasn't listening to myself. I wasn't, I was leaving a whole part of myself out of the equation. And what makes you happy is the whole equation. And if you're not listening to what makes you happy, at some point it's going to catch up to you and you'll realize I have wasted so much time on other people's dreams, on other people's notions of success. You are amazing. <laughs> Folks, 29-year-old girl here who crochets. I know you're far more than that, but this is amazing to, to hear the advising or the thought or the paradigms that you have in my eyes at such a tender age. I wish I had those paradigms at your age because it's now taken me to this point in my life where I can see and understand what you're saying, and I suppose my evidence is a podcast like this. This is why I go down that pathway because I've started to see, but you are teaching me. You are teaching me so much in in your paradigms and in, and in your thoughts. You have spoken about creativity. Now, yes. the creation of the, the, the crocheted garment, not focusing on the garment, but can you focus on the power of creating as a tool for energizing? Um, that's a great question. Well, I think what the, the point that I get to when I finish any garment is you realize that if you want success in something, it's not always fun. If you want success and you want to feel proud of yourself, you have to push through and with discipline and work ethic to get it done. Yeah. So whilst I'm sitting in a lovely garment that I made, I had to really like create discipline for myself to actually finish it. Mm. Because as much as crochet is a hobby, I still have to keep myself disciplined to finish things. I think when humans have hobbies, sometimes we don't always see them through. Um, whereas with crochet and specifically my garments, there's a lot of steps involved. I have to actively keep pushing through the pain points of any particular project, <laughs> just like with anything in life. And when I get to the end, I'm like, oh my gosh, the work was actually worth it. And I can bask in my my work that I do. And it, it sounds really funny because crochet, pain uh, points in crochet. What is a pain point in, in crochet? crochet. <laughs> when you're making 850 puff flowers and having to sew them through suede boot material, that is certainly a pain point. And that is something where the only thing that made me finish them was discipline and hard work. And you can apply that to anything in life, whatever you want to do. If you want to finish something extravagant, 
in any part of your life, you have to be disciplined and have motivation to do that. So it's almost the commitment to creativity brings about other attributes, discipline, resilience, keeping at what you're creating, and these also become a service to your creation, uh, a service to helping your life feel more fulfilled. For me, I think giving and pouring my energy into creativity rather than, say, traditional uh, career prospects and pathways, for me, has allowed me to be proud of myself. Wow. And I never thought that being like pouring my energy into creativity would make me so proud. Yeah. But now that I have a room of crochet garments at my house and I look at them, I realize I've pushed through good days, bad days, and I've come out of them with these pieces that are a piece of me and I've poured my my heart and soul into them. And I think I never did that with anything else in my life. So it's actually enabled me to find a piece of myself that's always been there, mm-hmm. but I've now tapped into it through pushing through and having discipline and hard work with it. I'm getting this feeling that there has been a catalyst for arriving at these conclusions and this incredible, beautiful pathway to to creating happiness that I think you're alluding to, that you're telling (laughs) us about. Has there been a dark moment or dark moments in your life that has been the catalyst for this? Oh, absolutely. I think anything beautiful in life, especially in a creative sense, has come out of some form of pain and darkness. I think any artist that you would study over time, like true art comes out of pain and it is true. Um, I've suffered with um, fairly severe mental health issues uh, since my teenage years and for a while it ruled my life and until I realized I can harness myself for who exactly who I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and turn those traits into and pour that into something that I can create. So on the days where I might not leave the house, instead of just zoning out <laughs> and watching TV, I'm in my craft room focusing on one little task at a time. And then I look back at those days and I see that even though I I had a bad day, I pushed through and I created something. And Mm. that makes me feel really, really proud. Can you go back to your your, your mental health issues? Now, the reason why I'm going back there is because mental health is, is something we hear about so much in our modern society, today's society. I, I got to get a feeling many years ago, there were so many unrecognizable behaviors or conditions that are now part of the, the mental health spectrum, right? So it's a, it's a very current issue. So what did a mental health issue look like for you going back in time? Um, I guess going back in time, how mental health has affected my life. uh, And I I guess as a child, I was always highly anxious. I was a very highly anxious person. I still am. (laughs) But I can now harness that anxiety for different things. But I struggled with eating issues and eating disorders since I was about 15 years old. And at this point in my life, 29, I'm finally, I guess, passing through those really tumultuous years. I can leave that behind, 
but it has greatly impacted my life. But I would want anyone to know that even if you are going through the the really tumultuous times, at one point you will look back at yourself and realise you got through it and you battled through it. And how I've battled through it is with crochet, which is such an interesting pivot. But being able to sit down in the quiet, which is where I feel comfortable, being on my own and in the quiet is how I, how I, I guess, decompress my anxiety. Being able to sit down and focus and and turn that, um, turn those mental health, I guess, issues or or things that are holding me back, using my safe place to create has allowed me to tackle these mental health issues in, I guess, a constructive in a constructive way. I hope that makes no, sense. No, I get it. I get that. I get that. But I would have thought that fifteen years of age a young girl, and some of these messages of society that a 15-year-old girl has got to be growing up and looking like this with this particular hairstyle and you better be shaped in a particular way. I hope I'm not out of place here. No, no, not at all. I, I, I get where you're going with this and I can agree that my, I guess, quote-unquote body type and the way my personality is, I was always on the fringe of, I guess, what is the ideal woman in, in a way. And I I didn't look like all the other girls at school. You know, I was always the, the girl at the pool party with the shirt on. I always felt ashamed of having the body type that I do, which is not all that abnormal, by the way. A lot of women have my body type. It's not. Well, how are you, you describe your body type? You look pretty good to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just like, I, I have a belly. I have thighs. I have oh, right. all these normal things. But I guess growing up in the 2000s, there was, um, I guess, un- I guess, sorry, what I'm trying to say, there was body image issues masked as, I guess, the ideal. I get you. And women had to fit into this uh, mould and if you didn't, you weren't good enough. And that unfortunately did plague my my thoughts and it was reinforced um, by, by my peers at school. It was reinforced by even sometimes my family sometimes that, you know, my body shape wasn't, wasn't the ideal. And I am a soft-natured person. Others would be like, stuff you, I love my body. But yeah. I didn't at that time have that awareness. I couldn't fight for my what I looked like, I, I guess I gave into the pressures and developed eating disorders and eating issues, which then continued to, I guess, about a year ago where I decided to finally face it and, and get um, in-depth therapy do you, for do, it. do you think there are those body image pressures, those body paradigms, they still exist today? Oh, absolutely. Even in the body positivity movement that you see all over social media and in person, there are still body types that are idealized in the bigger community. I guess what we need to stop doing is idolizing anyone and just accepting everyone for who they are. Yeah. We don't need to idealize any particular body shape. I think, well, how I sit now with my body is I'm healthy, I'm fit. Yeah. I look after myself and however my body is going to look is just what I've been given. And like you said to me earlier, Bernie, your body is a temple and now I'm trying to learn to honour my temple however it was meant to look. You know what's amazing about what you're saying is I, I take young people, 
to Africa. Many, many of them go to climb Kilimanjaro, but in the process, they work with African schools. They run an athletics carnival for them. They go to Kibera, the great slum of Africa, and we we create a choir and we sing We Are the World and we do some marvellous things. But the amazing thing in Kenya and Tanzania, for example, is that unless you are a large, buxom, big bum, plenty of meat around the thighs woman, you're not indeed. It, it's actually the opposite to the West. So culturally, there are different body images and body shapes that absolutely. Are and yet here in this Western society, we own you know. We seem to be only accepting one particular image, and yet in the world yes. at large, many different images are accepted. Absolutely. I think uh, it's profitable for the Western oh, world wow. for us to idealise a certain body type because naturally, even I'm just speaking for women, naturally most women don't fall into a size 8 uh, trim and fit body type. Um, naturally, we don't. Naturally, we sit maybe a little bit more than that. And it's profitable for people to think that unless I look like that, I have to keep trying to fight to look like that. And it's profitable. The The diet industry, the health industry profits off it. So of course they want us to believe that we have to fit this mold because that mold makes them a lot of money. And for me personally, I fell victim to that and I am still unlearning those behaviours. What's interesting, you say you fell victim to it, but it, but the support system, the environment around you, and at that time, what is at 15 years of age, what is that environment? Well, it's home. That's yes. one. Two, it's education. And whatever else is in the environment around you, we didn't do a very good job in helping you to see and buy into other body shape, did we? I think particularly in the 2000s, the obesity epidemic plagued the health uh, spectrum of like news and I guess research and everything like that. Yeah. There is now research coming out um, that I or I like to listen to podcasts which kind of debunk health myths and things like that. There is now research coming out that debunks all of this obesity epidemic, I guess chaotic, chaotic panic that we had in the 2000s. Um, and that's just what I was growing up with. So it's a, no, no fault of anyone, but it was just the media and the talk of the time because now I'm still, like my, my BMI is still categorised as obese. So I'm still technically obese because of my height and my weight. But am I healthy? Am I fit? Yes. Are you happy? Uh, yes, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like I'm still learning to love my body for exactly what it is. But in the health standards of society, still, I'm still obese. Yeah. So can you see why people get mixed messages and can develop yeah. issues around that? Because they're told they're not good enough. Yeah. You are not good enough yet unless you are, you are this particular BMI or this particular body shape. Do you feel we're doing a better job now oh. than we were back then in helping particularly young women, although I, I, I should include young men as well who think that their body yes. type has to be six-packs and pecs, pectoral, chest muscles, etc. Are we doing a better job? I think we are doing a better job, but I would also say in some of the literature I was given when I was doing eating disorder, um, cognitive behavioural therapy, some of the literature they gave me was so interesting because um, the literature and the science shows that when an obese person or a big person 
goes to the doctor if they've got a sore knee. The doctor will just say lose weight. They won't say stretch and do different kind of meditative, um, I guess, physiotherapy Mm. things to fix it. They'll say lose weight and then do that. Mm. I think we all need to change our minds and don't look at the weight. Just objectively treat someone regardless of their weight Mm. and objectively look at someone regardless of their weight. We live in a fat phobic society and it is hard being fat. I was um, over 100 kilos and you do get treated differently and no one should be treated differently based on their gender, sexuality or weight. And we should just throw out the notions of if you are quote unquote fat, you are unhealthy because that is not that is not the case. I'm still qualified or I still fall under the obese category but I carry 30 kilos upstairs to train. I rock and I train really hard (laughs) and I take my fitness seriously and I'm still categorized as fat. So you can be fit and fat. You can be healthy and fat. And fat is not a shameful thing to be. My dear listeners, can I remind you, you are listening to the (laughs) wisdom of a 29-year-old young lady who I met crocheting at Joey's. (laughs) Um, This is fantastic. Insight. View. I'm learning. Second time I've said it. I'm learning. You know, so much, so much from you. I'm getting the feeling you're very intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) How did you go at school? Were you? Did you go okay in the classroom? And did you go to university? Well, I yes, I did well at school. I'm a I'm a nerd. Whether I'm crocheting, I'm a crochet nerd. Or if I'm at school, I'm putting my head into the books. Like sevens, sixes, fives. Yes, sevens, and I got mainly straight A's at school, although an A minus in physics. I did struggle with physics. You got an A minus in physics. I know. Is that when you got an A plus and all the rest? Uh, some of them, yes. <laughs> Were you the ducks of the school? No, I wasn't. I had. I went to the school I went to. Everyone was. A lot of people were fairly yeah. highly intelligent people. Were you in top two or three? No, no, still not. Is so, that right? So even though I was still getting. Fairly, fairly good grades. I know I was kind of like in my friendship circle who were very highly intelligent people, kind of middle of the pack. So you can kind of give you an estimate as to how smart. Yeah, but that's only in your friendship circle, not in your grade (laughs) over here. I suspect you were top 10 at a private school. Yes, 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 yes. 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 And what about at university? How'd you go at uni? I, I did well. There were some uh, subjects that everyone struggles with, but I did. I mainly got sixes and sevens, yes. And I studied uh, architecture for a couple of years at uni. So the picture that I've got here is uh, a highly intelligent, measured by traditional education. Plenty of A's, plenty of sevens, plenty of sixes. But getting a bit of pressure at 15 years of age and despite that intelligence, the pressure starts to take over. Yes. And it results in a post-school experience that leads to an eating disorder and therefore a, a, a mental health issue. I think uh, specifically at the time I was growing up, mental health wasn't talked about like it was today. I think if uh, in a, a girl or a boy or anyone would be going through something now as a teenager, it might be a little bit more addressed and worked through at an earlier age. Whereas with me and the way I operate, um, I tend to try and push through. And I think once I reached tertiary education, I'd been pushing through and battling unresolved mental health issues for 
many years. And at some point it came crumbling down and I yeah. had to face that. Yeah. And I had to work through that. What would you now say, given your experience, your journey, what would you now say to any 15-year-old girl or boy who is under these body image pressures, what would you say to them right now? And do you have a line of action that you would encourage them to take, a line of thinking, a line of seeing that you would encourage them to take? I guess if I was, if I'm talking to like a teen right now, I would say unfollow and don't engage with anyone online or in social media that perpetuates your anxiety about your body image. If you look at someone online and you get that pang of guilt that you don't look like that, unfollow them. Don't follow or engage with anyone in your life that makes you feel like you are not enough. So that's number one. It's don't even engage in any of it. I had to start following people that actually looked like me and I saw my body type in on my page. So over time, it slowly made me think, hey, I'm I'm worthy of love and I'm good enough too. So unfollow and don't listen to anyone that doesn't make you feel good about yourself. And number two, it's okay if you don't feel okay about yourself. It is okay to feel like that. Um, your feelings are valid. Your feelings aren't silly. Your feelings are valid, no matter what anyone says. And three, be open with your parents. Talk well, to your parents about what you're feeling if you feel safe enough to do that. Talk to someone. Now, that was going to be my next question, actually. If you, if you were speaking to the parents and friends group and the school that you went to got you back in because of your journey yeah. and said, could you speak to the parents and actually give them some advice and guidance on how to handle their son or daughter who may be suffering some body image crisis? What would you say to the parents? I think if a child is coming to you with body image issues, you need to be handle that very delicately because you yourself might have body image issues and you need to be really careful about handing that down. So my mum and I have talked many times about generational trauma and I truly believe that eating disorders and body image issues can be handed down whether you are aware of it or not. So I think you need to tread lightly and no matter how you feel about what they look like or how you feel about yourself, eating disorders are a mental health issue. And if your daughter came or son came to you with a broken leg, you would fix it. So you need to treat an eating disorder like something in them is needs to be is broken and needs a bit of tender loving care and a bit of, of repair. So you need to um, turn off your notions of what a body needs to look like. Wow. Because eating that people in bigger bodies can be labelled as anorexic because they're still undernourishing their body. So even if your child doesn't present to you like a quote-unquote uh, I guess what your representation of what an eating disorder looks like, it doesn't mean it's not real. And for a long time, people thought I was okay because my body type was not the typical anorexic body type. I lived in a bigger body. But for over 12 years, 15 years, I, I was suffering immensely with an eating disorder. Wow. So don't comment um, good or bad on like how they look. So if they come to you saying, mum, I haven't eaten properly for a few weeks because a girl at school um, called called me big or bloated or something. If they come to you with that, 
you need to really sit down with them and say, it's okay. Um, I'm here to help you. How can I help you? How can yeah. I be of an assistance to you? Take yourself out of the equation. Could because- you elaborate on generational trauma? I'm stuck <laughs> back at those two beautiful words. I've never heard those words before. Really? What's generational trauma mean? Well, it just means that, especially in my particular case, Eating disorder issues have run in my family, right. um, and not not maybe outwardly ones, but I think as as a woman living in society, there's a lot of pressure to look a certain way. Wow! So you can, without you even knowing, hand that down to your children, and your your mother can hand it to you. You can hand it to your child, and then it just perpetuates this cycle of the women not feeling valid in the bodies that they have because of one. A societal pressure or another, we feel like we have to look a certain way. And that was the case in my family. Um, through my healing journey, I've been able to heal with my mum. And both of us at this point in our lives are happier humans having to work through that. You were very, very happy last week at Joey's. <laughs> you yeah. were crocheting at a minimum. This yeah. was 6 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. You two look great. Yeah. So I have been able to heal with my mum and I have the only the highest respect for her because we have healed together with it. Wow. And she's been on this journey with me. And, yeah. And we were able to tackle our our issues together. Not that my mum has ever had a, a diagnosed issue or anything like that. I can't talk for her. Yeah. But she's a very high achiever herself. And yeah. that also comes out in how we look. She's mm. always been very fit, very healthy, never never had a issue overly big issue with her health um, she's always really looked after herself but put a lot of pressure on herself at the same time sure sure and I sure. think now we both take that pressure off yeah. We still have fitness and we're still happy, yeah. but the pressure is not there as much anymore. Yeah. And that's what I'd say to a parent and a child is take the pressure away, take the societal pressure out. Is your child happy? Mm. If they're not happy with their body image, then I think it is your responsibility to help them find it. Wow, I, do I think, like that. I do think wow. it is your responsibility. Wow. And you need to help you need to help them. Other if you don't, it is a disservice to their future self. Yeah. And they could hand it on to their kids. Yeah. You have the opportunity to yeah. break this. Yeah. yeah. I hope you don't mind me, but I'm gonna go back to a, a previous podcast, a wonderful, wonderful man called Joel State. Episode number eight, I think, dear people. But I remember Joel. Joel was diagnosed with a cancer that only 60 people in the world have. Wow. And Joel opens the podcast by actually saying, thank you, cancer. You actually have taught me to live. I hope you don't mind me saying I'm getting that same feeling here a little bit. It's not cancer, but it's this mental health issue, this body image issue and yet it's now been a stimulus and a catalyst for you to discover greater life. Can you pinpoint, you already have, can you pinpoint some other things that having this experience has taught you to value that is now uncompromisable for you? It has taught me to tread lightly and kindly in the world. I now. I, I realize that when you see someone on the street, you have no idea what is going You are good. Going through their, their life at that point, regardless of what they look like, how they present to the world. 
you have no idea because people didn't know that about me. So if you approach people with love and kindness, you will have a much greater output in your experience with humans. I guess my family relationships, my inner circle relationships are much greater now that I look, I take a step back and I look at them and embrace them for exactly who they are, regardless of what is going on in their life. But what do you personally do now? Or what did you personally learn from that journey of pain and chaos in your life that inspires that loving kindness and perception of people, which by the way, You display in your face, it glows from you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, that's what I saw at Joey's. And I said, I've got to get this girl in the podcast (laughs) over here. But what, what do you actually do that inspires it and grows it and evolves it? I guess what I do is, like I said earlier, is... What it's taught me to, is to slow my life down and listen to intrinsically what makes me happy and yeah. not not give in to the, the, I guess, societal pressures for anything, body, uh, financial success, yeah. power. Yeah. So I connect with nature. I connect with creativity, things that bring me joy yeah. and things that. And the meditative nature of crocheting. Yes. Yeah, 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 Sitting yeah. down and honouring myself and crocheting is a way for me to think. It's mm. a way for me to focus my energy into one singular project. And it allows me to turn off my anxieties or my and turn off that, I guess, inner saboteur that says yeah. you're not good enough. You can't the, do this. The stuff that you bought into all those years ago. You're, yes. you're, you're not only turning it off, but you're actually pushing them away or you're yes. diluting them or you're dissolving them through your your current strategy and yes. action and your learning. Yeah. Yes. So I guess I action and turn that past hurt where I felt lost and I felt unseen and I felt like I could never get through it. Those really dark points in my life, I use and harness that energy now into just following what makes me happy because what happened when I fell into that heap was I was following what made others happy, what I thought would make my family happy, what I thought would make my peers happy to see me do. That doesn't matter. What really matters is I think, what would your little five-year-old self be proud to seeing you do? What would your little inner child be happy to see you doing? As a as a child, I loved colour and nature and creating and escaping and and just spending quality time by myself working through a project. I'm no different than when I was five in some ways because I'm listening to what my true self wanted to do before society got in the way. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is gold. <laughs> You're almost saying keep on asking yourself, folks, that before society got in the way, who were you back then? And yeah. recognise the beauty, the peace, the calm, the quiet of that inner child, the creativity and the curiosity, and ask yourself how much of that still exists today and don't let too much of that society message get in your way. If it does, start to unlearn from it and unlearn from it by going back to the spirit of the child. Yes. I'm tearing up. (laughs) I think... 
some things that get me through the day is what would I what would I do if I didn't have learned behaviors of what society teaches me? So and that can be with anything, eating disorders, anxiety, depression. How would you act if that didn't exist? Yeah. How would you act before all of that got in the way? Mm. And for me as a kid, I loved making, I loved creating, disappearing into nature. That was the point where I felt the joy run through me. And mm. that is what I honor and into my life looking forward is what brings me joy. And if it doesn't, I have no time for it. If it doesn't spark joy, I don't have time for it. <laughs> Do you have time to make a buck? Because <laughs> I'm hearing great. I'm hearing a very happy life uh, over here. But and I, I, I'm not. That didn't mean to be the comment that it sounded like. I'm not putting a value on a, on, on a dollar. Although you still got to live. You yes. still got to. So how do you? What does your work look like? Or do you call it work? <laughs> what What do you do that brings a few dollars into the household so that you yeah. can live this happiness? I'm a disability support worker, and oh. I work in that. Uh, I work in that area. But I, I like you just said. Then I don't overly call it work. What I what I do every day is just try and support people and help them to have a happy day. I think as a support worker, you are put into someone's life, and it's your responsibility to try and make their life as happy and help them work through whatever they're needing support for and bring a smile to their face. So that's what I do on a day. You're advocating a, a new value there, the value of of, of service. Yes. You in, enjoy the service to to inspire some happiness in, in, in their life. What's your reward for doing that? Um, I guess I get to listen and learn someone else's perspective. You realize that their life experience, whilst it might be so greatly different from your own, you always have commonality with someone. And, uh, specifically with like who I work with, we crochet together and we create (laughs) things together. I've turned her into a nonna like me. Um, and she teaches me, she teaches me so much and. Like what? You gotta, you gotta substantiate that. What does she teach you? Regardless of what physically is going on in her body, which I won't elaborate into, but regardless of what she deals with on a physical daily basis, she doesn't let it affect her life. She lives her life just like how you or I would live our life. Go out, explore, learn new things, eat yummy food, really embrace life for what it is and um, regardless of what life has handed to you. She is the inner child. She she is she's she's great and I fell into disability work when when COVID hit and it's been the best thing that has happened because it has allowed me to see uh, someone else's perspective in life that is greatly different from my own but we still have commonality and we still can uh, come together over a coffee and crochet and even though our lives are vastly different so crochet mm. or any kind of hobby can connect. And, and inspire. But I'm lost here. You told me before, and you told our <laughs> listeners before, you were getting sevens and sixes at architectural school at the university. Yeah. So so what happened after the university? Did you have other businesses that you got involved in? I uh, put my uni degree on hold when I started my small business back, in, uh, back a few years ago now. What was that about? I fell into the nursery industry. So I love plants. What? I know. 
Um, my dad's family, my grandparents, when I was a kid, ran and operated a water lily farm. So I grew up surrounded by, I guess, facets of the nursery industry. I saw them have an amazing farm of water lilies looking so gorgeous. So I always loved plants and loved being out in the garden. And when I was in uni, I just started making uh, terrariums and uh, plant arrangements for people in my life. I worked at a cafe at the time and, you know, I'd be like, do you want to terrarium? Do you want a terrarium? Can I make you something? Can I create you something? And I fell into doing markets and uh, plant expos and it grew into this beautiful, uh, beautiful little life uh, that I created and I worked really, really hard at. Was so, this part of your architecture no, or was this in addition to? No, I left that behind. I didn't want to be sitting at a computer making computer models for the rest of my life. Well, okay. That was not what was making me joyful at so all. So the artistry of the architecture did not fit you? The application of that particular type of design. I love drawing on paper and designing, but what was, I guess, the fall for me was the computer technology aspect of it, computer modelling and putting that into the digital world was an application of design that did not suit my brain. You had the guts to leave it. Yeah, I didn't want to pursue it. You're not going to go back and finish it, are you? No, And you don't have to, do you? No, not at all. Not at all. I wonder how many others are out there, start a degree and just, I've got to finish it. At what cost? I mean, I do respect that as well because in some aspects I feel bad that I never finished it. But for me, I knew it was not going to be a lifestyle that was conducive to what I enjoyed to do. Mm -hmm. And I struggled with the computer aspect of it. And if you struggle at something and it just doesn't click, it's not for you. You don't have to see that through. (laughs) I reckon there's a bit of conflict there. Let let me elaborate. (laughs) You're saying you felt bad that you didn't finish it. Is that because you haven't unlearned from society's expectations that you're supposed to start the degree and finish it? Well, I did grow up having academics being very highly praised yeah. and I always wanted to make my family proud and I always wanted to, you know, make my make my mum proud. And for me, that was a tertiary education. But now, like I think my mum would say, she's proud of what I'm doing now. I was about to say that. How <laughs> proud is she of you now? I, I can't speak for her, but I think she is proud that I that we have learned to embrace each other for exactly who we are yeah. and that I do love to create because we do it together. Yeah. We've created a lifestyle that we can share weekdays crocheting together. That's the dream. Well, in my <laughs> eyes, that is the dream. That is like, I can't buy that. That's yeah. something I can't purchase. You've so, got love in your life. You've got a partner. I do. Yeah. How does he embrace well, he only said to me a few days ago, he said, it's only a matter of time before I learn crochet that I can help you with your pieces. <laughs> he is super supportive. He he doesn't ask much of me in a lot of ways in my life. He doesn't mind if I'm on the weekends closed off in my crochet room creating. Yeah. He, he allows me to be who I am yeah. and he fosters that. He doesn't expect me to to do this or that, he just accepts me for exactly who I am. And I'm so lucky to have that in my life. Wow. Hasn't always been smooth sailing. We've had our ups and downs. But well, welcome to humanity. Yes. Yeah. But however, he just loves me for exactly who I am. And you know that. You're saying that very definitively. Oh, absolutely. He yeah. knows the deepest, darkest parts of myself and and hugs it and loves it for exactly what it is. And that is, that is really special. I'm so grateful for him. What does that feel like? For you? That I'm just loved, like I'm deeply, deeply loved. 
it is the biggest blessing I've ever had in my life. And like I said, it hasn't always been smooth sailing. We at one point weren't together anymore and we came back together and found each other. But he nurtures that inner part of myself that always feels lost and that doesn't feel accepted. He sees me for exactly who I am. And and he might not be the most successful and ambitious person in some ways of his life, but he deeply loves me and accepts me. And that is the biggest blessing I've ever had. Yeah. I'm so grateful for him. I didn't expect to go down this tangent, but (laughs) now, now, say to anybody who's listening to this who wants to find that treasured love in their life, what should they value or what do they look for? What do you search for if you want that love? I mean, you're you're talking about a love at the moment. I'm seeing it on your face over here. Like, it is special. It's like a treasure that's glowing from your face at the moment. What do you say to people who want that love in their life? Well, you don't search for it. Uh, I think it will come at the time where it's meant to come, and there are no lists or or what they're supposed to be. Like I said, I never thought – I would be with someone that likes to sleep in and be a little bit be a little bit slower in in the way they live their life and take midday naps on the weekends and and cook me pancakes in bed but he's totally opposite to me. I'm a morning person with a hell of a lot of energy whereas he wakes up and slowly makes a coffee. I never thought I would be with someone like that. We are vastly different in how we live. But when it comes to the true connection, he fosters the parts of myself that I sometimes question. He doesn't make me question myself. Yeah. He allows that to to blossom. And I guess what to answer your original question, there is no, I guess, list or idea of what someone can be. Yeah. They might be completely different from what you think that you yeah. need. But yeah. they're exactly what you need. <laughs> they're exactly what you need. He brings me down to earth. He grounds me. He keeps me from spiraling sometimes. He supports me on the days where I can't support myself. Wow. And he doesn't judge me for that. Wow. And wow. That, the, that, that's really special. So, yeah, he's amazing. What have plants taught you about yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I love that plants endure. They work really hard to sometimes put out one or two leaves a year. <laughs> Plants and I guess connecting to nature is really just connecting to yourself. So being out there in the dirt, pulling up your harvest of a particular plant or working on growing a plant to its true form beauty is really what we're trying to do as a human. So we're trying to be the most beautiful version of ourselves. Plants do that on their own time and humans will also do that on their own time. So it taught me that you can't rush anything. Good things will come in time with hard work and Uh, persistence and regularity and everything like that. So when I got into the nursery industry, I guess it took me out of academics. I never thought I'd end up in a part of the world where you don't need a degree. I never thought that would be my life. But nursery, like working in the nursery industry and now in the disability industry, are usually industries where you don't need an accreditation. But they are industries that fill my soul with happiness, Mm. but without a degree. Bella Cameron, I'm, I'm a little <laughs> bit floored by all this. It, it, it's uh, well, on one hand, at the moment, I'm patting myself on the back 
hope that doesn't sound egotistical, dear folks, <laughs> because to find you in a coffee shop <laughs> and to have this discussion is, is really, really wonderful. Let's start to wind down and, and finish up, regrettably. Um, <laughs> let's just pretend you've got a class of grade 10 or grade 11 students and the topic is find greater peace and happiness within yourself but the bell's about to go <laughs> and you've only got a minute. What's your advice to them on, on how to find greater contentment within themselves at that tender age? I would say what inspires you is probably what you are meant to do. And it can be the, the smallest of things. If reading uh, graphic novels or manga inspires you, do that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how small... Uh, interest it is, you can turn it into something if you want it. You mm. can literally do that. Mm. It's not out of reach. You can do that. No matter what anyone says to you, if you want to make it happen, you can. Mm-hmm. It's not out of reach. No goal is too big or too small if you want to make that happen. Listen let's, to yourself. Let's say I generate 12 sets of parents, mums and dads are there, and I said, here's Bella Cameron, and I'm really, really sorry that she arrived late, but she's only got five minutes before she has to go, and here's what she wants to say to you at your age of 30 and 40 years of age about generating greater love, peace, and happiness in your world. What do you say to the parents and the 30 and the (laughs) 40-year-olds? I would say that If you regret something that you haven't done yet or you feel like you've left a path behind, any path can be reopened if you want it to. You have to make some kind of sacrifice to make that happen, whether that be financial or emotional, but you can open that path. It's never closed off. Mm -hmm. Your inner child happiness is there for whenever you want to take it, Mm -hmm. but you have to make that clear to yourself that you want to make that happen. We 50 and 60-year-olds who pretend that we're searching and finding wisdom must come to grips that part of our education has to come from the young. It's not just the Stoics. It's not just those that are older than us and our life's journey. We've got to be asking the young, what do they see today? So I'm asking you, Bella Cameron, you've now speaking to the Bernie Kellys of this world and there are plenty of 50 and 60-year-olds. We want to live love. We're at a stage where we've learned that all that 30 years of work that we did and we start to scratch our head, why did I work for that company for 30 years? I'm not quite sure why <laughs> because yeah. love is all there is. What do you say to the 50 and 60-year-olds who want to find greater love, peace and happiness? I think honour what you've done and don't live in regret because at that time you thought you were doing exactly what you needed to do. So don't beat yourself up because you've been doing that anyway this whole time. So don't beat yourself up. Accept what you've done but maybe realise what you've done so much to this point in your life hasn't served you. So really ask yourself, what is going to serve me now? Because time is precious and there's only so much time. So just do it. Might be a bit scary, but that that option for love and happiness has always been there. It's now, you can take that now. You're just beautiful. Thank you so much. You are incredible. Thank you. Peter Darcy. 
<laughs> episode number 12 or 13, Pete, you'll be glad that I remember this. When I asked him the same question, he said to the 50 and 60-year-olds, stop looking in the rear vision mirror. <laughs> you know, and you've just said exactly the same thing. We've got to be listening to this is a 29-year-old, folks, a 29-year-old <laughs> who's seeing this on our behalf. Oh, I'm so, so emotionally <laughs> joyous as a result of this discussion. I almost forgot your name. <laughs> <laughs> Bella Cameron, thank you ever so much for being part of this journey with Bernie. But can I just thank you for being on the other side of this podcast with me and just teaching me so much of what you've shared today. I'm in a way going to say something that seems a bit strange. I'm a bit thankful for the journey that you've been on because where it's led you is quite a remarkable perception and paradigm of life. Well, that's according to the Bernie view of things. I wonder what our listeners out there think of it. Can I thank you listeners for joining this episode of A Journey with Bernie and I am smiling because Bella Cameron has taught us so, so much. I hope you enjoyed it because I thought it was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and eye-opening and healing for myself as well. So thank you so much. You I'm deserve, really grateful. You deserve everything you receive, young lady. Thank you, Bernie. You deserve it. Cheers. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode of A Journey with Bernie. I loved it. Of course, the contact and connection details of our special guest and any references to resource material, books or educational sources can be found in the podcast notes. Do go there, folks. Our guests would so welcome hearing from you. Now, for those of you who have previously rung me about joining our forthcoming adventures to Nepal and those glorious Himalayan trekking trails, it's truly great to have you on board. For those of you that are still interested, may I suggest you visit the website of Global Immersion Travel? That's www.gitravel.com.au. Embrace the journey, dear people. Just embrace the journey and enjoy every minute of it. And just remember, 